This is Skin Deep with Karina Tolan. A podcast about what's next. You grow, you heal, and you help others. So I'm so excited to welcome my next guest to Skin Deep Podcast. This lady is an incredible businesswoman. She's a fellow skin therapist, beauty therapist in the industry for over 13 years. Based in North London, Enfield, recent recipients of Regional Professional Beauty Salon of the Year 2017, and also IIIA Salon of the Year for the whole UK. She's a fellow stockist of Environment Skincare Jane Airedale and Advanced Nutrition Program. I would like to welcome Miss Tessa Stevens. Hello, my lovely. Okay, well, we opened the doors in 2007. Um, I had been working for someone for 13 years before that. Um, Her name was Pamela Stevens, Mm -hmm. and she had a chain of 13 salons across London. And um, it was amazing working for her because we worked for a really big family-run business. Uh, She was a a single mum with two daughters, and um, I really admired her so much. She had a great work ethic. Um, and she got to about the age of, I think it was about around late sixties and she decided she wanted to retire and she sold the whole business onto this medical group. Like there's loads of medical spas out there now, but this was the first one that was in London. Um, and they took us over and they retrained us in all of the new aesthetic treatments were out, that were out on the market. But the beauty side of the business had just completely disappeared. It was really mainstream aesthetics. And it wasn't for me. I didn't enjoy it. Um, so Mark and I were just about to buy a house and I begged Mark for the deposit money if I could open my own business. <laughs> why would you swipe the money for the house? Yes. Independent <laughs> woman. <laughs> so um, that's how it started. So um, I literally um, used our deposit money and um, opened the business with that. And I took some of my existing team with me because they didn't want that journey in the aesthetic market at that moment in time either. It was way too new for us. And um, I kind of had an existing client base. So I thought I would just be picking up my client base that I had and some of my team that I had and opening a new business. But what happened was we hit the ground running and we picked up loads of new business and loads of new clients. And um, we got busier than what we ever had anticipated. So within, I'd say about nine months, we sort of like had to take on new staff and really look at the business growing quite rapidly. Excellent. How long ago would this have been, Tessa? This was in 2007. Okay, brilliant. Excellent. And that must have been quite overwhelming because I'm sure you were very nervous particularly taking your house deposit off Mark. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And also because when you're managing a branch for someone else and it's not your own business, it's completely different to running your own business. So I had no idea about um, payroll, national insurance, VAT, ordering stock, building relationships with suppliers, anything like that. I just knew how to manage a team, give excellent Um, customer service and really good treatments and I didn't realize about all this behind the scenes stuff that was so important and that you had to learn to juggle as well Um, but obviously you learn really quickly as you probably know yourself and you realize that you start spinning a lot of plates and um, you know you've either got it or you haven't. (laughs) And what I know from you is you really love what you do. You're so passionate about what you do. You give it everything. And that's, I think, ultimately the greatest armor you can have in the pursuit for success. 
Definitely. I think that in this job, you have to love it because you give so much of yourself, don't you? You know, you're not just going in and doing a pile of paperwork. You know, you're building relationships with people that trust you and you want to make such a difference to them. You know, I love it when a client walks through the door and you've boosted their confidence, you know, you've made them feel so much better. And that's just come from you only. And the most rewarding thing for me is not only how you make the client feel, but then also to be able to train other people that you work with to do the same thing. I mean, that is amazing. You know, I've never said this to you before, but the, just the fact that you have your name over the door, I think says so much about your business. It says to me that you stand for everything you believe in and there's integrity in that alone. It's something that my mom obviously had with Monica Tolan and it's something that you walk under your name every, every day. And that stands for so much. So it's everything, really. It's your reputation. It's, it's your brand. And, and it's such a personal service. So, you know, you have, to kind, you have to really do that, don't you? Because you're selling yourself and you're telling people to buy into you and what you believe in, you know. And I feel you need all your team members singing off the same hymn sheet. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I really believe that we do, you know, I believe that we all understand the same ethos, the same protocols, you know, they all get the brand, what we're all about. How many team members have you now, Tessa? <laughs> Too many. <laughs> There's 17 of us now. And do you still have one clinic or have you two clinics now? So we closed our Enfield clinic in January just because the lease was running out and they wanted us to renew the lease and renew it on a 20 year lease. And I felt at 44, did I really want to commit to another 20 year lease? You know, maybe when I started the business, when I was, you know, in my early thirties, that's different. But now I don't know if I wanted to do that. And there wasn't much negotiation there. So we decided to not take that as an option and to just all be under one roof. So now we're just at one branch. Which is really good when it's just you at the end of the day. Like I'm so lucky to have Rowan in that capacity. So yes. she's in one place, I'm in the other. It's hard to split yourself between two. And then of course you are a family woman as well. Yes, yes, definitely. And that was another thing. I think if Isabella wasn't here, um, I probably would have looked at that as a different, in, a di in different eyes and thought actually, you know, shall I give it my all for another 20 years? But now she's here I know that I do want to have not, I, I just let you know, I don't really believe in the work-life balance because I don't think it is true. I think sometimes your personal life needs you more and sometimes your work needs you more. And I think as long as you have a healthy attitude of knowing how to know which way to go, I think that's what works. But um, for, for going forward, I knew that there would be times that Isabella would need me. And for me to be able to still give the business a hundred percent, I wouldn't be able to do that with two shops, you know, for the, for the next 20 years like that. So while we speak of the lovely little lady, Isabella, let's talk about the miracle that is her here. So I guess yourself and Mark, are you guys married? I never even asked you. Yes, we are married. Yes. And then you decided to try for a baby. So we were together for 13 years before we got married. Um, and we started trying for a baby quite early on in our relationship. Um, and I, I reckon it was about a year in that we realized that um, obviously nothing was happening. Mm -hmm. um, so we started to do some investigation work and see what would happen. And I was diagnosed with endometriosis. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, so it's m m like where your immune system is attacking itself. A lot of my 
growth yeah so it's like you're it's an autoimmune disease um so it's like when you have your monthly cycle a lot of what happens in your monthly cycle where you're bleeding you're actually bleeding outside of your fallopian tubes outside of the womb so there's a lot of scarring a lot of adhesions going on and um i had some investigation work and they told me that i had grade four endometriosis which is quite bad and there was a lot of scarring there and that I had a lot of growths that were attached to my fallopian tubes and attached to my ovaries. So they felt that it would be very difficult for me to conceive. Okay. Yeah. So it was hard. So the, the next eight years, really, I spent a lot of time having numerous surgeries, um, fertility surgeries to remove these growths and to laser a lot of the um, scarring away. Um, and also during that time, I was having IVF. Um, so I ended up having um, about five, five cycles of IVF and three cycles of frozen embryo transfers as well. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. Huge amount of yeah. um, How did you get through that? How did you find that whole process? Did it wear you down terribly? Even if it's in a relationship? So for me, um, one of the things that I found w that was good was talking about it. Um, so I found that working in an all female environment could be really difficult because a lot of people were getting pregnant around me. A lot of clients were coming in that were falling pregnant, but equally I was talking to a lot of people that also were going through this talking about it. So people felt that they couldn't discuss it with their nearest and dearest, especially people in their own families that were having children. So I felt that as many people that were ha having happy families and growing families, there was a lot of people out there that weren't doing that. Yeah. So talking for me helped as well. And also I just always knew that there was hope. No one ever said to me, stop trying. There's no chance you're going to have a kid, you know, and until someone said that to me, I just wasn't going to give up. <laughs> it's so important, isn't it? Definitely. Huge thing for you. Yeah. So say that again. Sorry. Word hope. It's. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, like it, it, yeah. I mean, like it just is, I mean, there was a, a thing that I put up on my Facebook page about six years ago, even before Mark had used it as part of his show and it was a, a fist and on each knuckle and we did. Sorry. It was, Tess, it was a fist. And then on each knuckle was the letters H O P E. That's it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So you, you then finally did conceive and you had a healthy pregnancy. Yep. Up until 13 weeks. So um, we, we, yeah, we, we had a frozen embryo transfer. She was our last egg and we decided to use it. And um, we obviously conceived. It was positive, which was great. We was over the moon and I kind of couldn't really even believe it that it was happening because it just didn't feel that this was meant to be happening. So I think we had probably about 10 weeks of, um, you know, like really great emotions, obviously sharing the news with our nearest and dearest. Mm -hmm. And um, then I found a lump in my breast. Um, I was in the shower and I was just checking my breasts because um, I always do. And I found a lump and um, I spoke to a girlfriend and she said to me, oh, you know, your breasts change all the way through pregnancy, this happens. And I spoke to another few um, of my girlfriends and to family, and they also reassured me. And um, when I spoke to Mark, he wasn't happy. And he said, I want you to go to the doctors. 
And I said, yeah, but I'm sure my breasts are going to go through changes. This is normal, babe. And he was like, okay, I think you should just go to the doctors anyway and just see what they say. And I waited a couple of weeks. I was just really riding the cloud of happiness and that wave. I was just so in that moment. You'd waited um, too long. So long. I waited too long, yeah. And um, I did go to the doctors and um, she immediately sent me for testing. And I had um, a scan done and a biopsy. And I promise you, even in that moment, I was just thinking, oh, this must just be pregnancy hormones. It can't be anything else. Um, and of course it wasn't. Oh. So, yeah, it was, it was tough. So um, we obviously went back for the results and they told me that I had um, a grade three breast cancer that had spread into my lymph nodes. And um, they wanted me to terminate the pregnancy which um, obviously was not an option. And um, we left and told them that that was not going to happen. And we found someone who dealt with people that were pregnant and that had types of uh, breast cancer. There was only three people in the UK. We managed to get hold of someone. And her name was Dr. Alison Jones. And she's a leading oncologist in this field. And um, she basically saved my life and bought me Isabella. Wow, what a and she she really did do that. And even the GP you went up, went to initially was so quick acting, wasn't she? She was fantastic. She was so good. She measured it. Um, she gave me a really thorough examination, and within twenty four hours, um, she had me booked in at the hospital in the breast clinic. And I kind of thought that she was overreacting and making a big deal out of nothing. But she was very, very good. Very good. She was really attentive and very fast. Yeah, we were really lucky. And now you'd found this oncologist. And I can imagine how scared you must have been. And at this point, was hope emerging? How did you feel? Like, did you have to fight hard to feel hope? Or was it there in the, in the forefront of your mind? Um, I think in the early days, when you get your diagnosis before you're given the real black and white facts of what's going on and what your cancer um, journey is going to be, you feel really isolated and alone because even though everyone is around you, at the end of the day, it's your fight, mm -hmm. you know? No. Ultimately, you have two fights on your hands. You have to fight yeah. against cancer and then you're fighting for her life. For my baby, yeah. Mm -hmm. And for me, I just went into... Um, protective mode I just thought I'm having this baby and that is all that matters and I'm going to bring this baby into the world but for Mark it was very different because for Mark he wanted to just protect me at that moment so we were both kind of on different journeys you know he had just gone so protective of me and he just wanted to wrap me up in cotton wool but I just felt like that of Isabella um, and those first few days were probably the hardest out of the whole journey because no one's telling you what's going on because they haven't got all of the information about your type of cancer and how to treat it. And it, so I got diagnosed on the Tuesday and I think I saw Dr. Alison Jones on the Friday and those probably were the hardest four days really because we were just so isolated and alone. And I remember the hardest part was the nights because it was so silent and so still and there was just no distractions so you just had to cope with your feelings of darkness that you had 
Wow. That's just immense. I can just imagine your thoughts running away and trying to distract yourself from them. And it had to be, it had to have been such an incredibly scary time. It was, it was, it was really hard, but surprisingly, and I know a lot of people find this hard to um, understand because I have spoken to a lot of people since. And the only people that seem to understand it are people that have had cancer and gone through it. But when you're in treatment, when you're having chemotherapy and when you're having radiotherapy and things that I had like a mastectomy, etc., when you have a plan and someone says to you, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go here and you're going to do this. And this is how you're going to feel. And next week you're going to wake up and you're going to have chemo again and go here and do this and X, Y, and Z. It's easy because someone's telling you what to do. But when you don't know what your plan is at the start, that's when it's harder. Yeah. So you don't have any choice but to be brave and just to do it. You just have to get on with it because that's the only choice that you've got, you know. And I had my pregnancy to focus on all the way through. So she was my um, motivation. You know, she was my driving force. She was my goal. And and getting stronger inside you. Of course. And then at what point in the pregnancy did the cancer treatment start? Could they not start anything until she was born? Oh, no, I was having chemo at 15 weeks. So um, I had my first chemotherapy when I was 15 weeks pregnant. And then I had it every three weeks after that until I was um, 27 weeks. So, and then when I was 27 weeks pregnant, I had a mastectomy. Um, and then seven days after I had a mastectomy, I had a cesarean and then Isabella was born. <laughs> Well, and was that a planned cesarean the day? Had they said as soon as she was viable and they were like confident that she would survive, they would? Yeah, so the whole pregnancy and the delivery, everything was planned with all of the chemotherapies. So every week I had an in-depth scan to make sure that she was okay. And they were happy with the way that she was doing. She was growing really well. She was a fantastic baby. There was no problem. Um, I had the... I think it was five chemos, I think. And they did, um, when they did the mastectomy, they realized that the chemotherapy hadn't actually um, done anything to the cancer. So it was actually still growing and spreading. Um, so they knew that they had to give me a stronger type of chemotherapy um, and much quick, much faster because I wasn't responding to the chemo that I was having. So would your pregnancy hormones have been fueling the cancer as well as, of course? Yes. And I was still taking IVF drugs as well to sustain the pregnancy. So we knew that that was against us. Um, you know, I didn't want to terminate and I had Dr. Alison Jones looking after me and I knew what the worst case scenarios were always. Um, and we knew that we were going to give it until the safest point that Isabella could be delivered. So when I got to 29 weeks, um, she felt that she had fully developed enough for her to be delivered and, you know, go straight into intensive care. And tell us about that moment. Oh, well, um, yeah, it's just, oh God, it's just, you know, I just never really thought that that would ever happen, you know, so i I didn't allow that the cancer to really have its moment and to interfere with what was happening in the delivery room that day because 
that was my moment and we worked so hard for that and I wanted to own that moment with Mark and not let my cancer be part of you know the happiness that was going to happen on that day you know so um it was just so overwhelming I can imagine so, in normal situation it's incredibly emotional mm. but do it while you were at war with cancer like yeah away from that and just having this moment of all that's good and right in the world of course and the other thing was was that um I couldn't have um a PET scan so a PET scan is when you have your whole body scan to see where the cancer is I could only have like an ultrasound so we never really knew whether I had secondary cancer at that point or whether I had it anywhere else in my body like in my liver lungs spine etc so we knew that as soon as I had Isabella, the next day I was going to have to have a PET scan. So once I'd had her, that was the other thing was that we had that hanging over us. So um, I, did, I just wanted to enjoy that day that I had her without having to worry about what the future was going to hold. And even though I know that it was only a short snippet of time, it was really important to us just to, you know, have that time with her with nothing else interfering. And how was she? What weight was she? she was just three and a half pounds yeah. which I know sounds not a lot but it's actually not bad um yeah but she was three and a half pounds and she couldn't breathe by herself um she couldn't um she couldn't breathe she couldn't regulate her temperature she had to go straight into um an incubator straight into intensive care but luckily she came out after two days which was good so she was still in um intensive care in neonatal but she wasn't in the um intensive care ward so um she was just in an incubator for seven weeks right okay yeah mommy so then you went and had your scan and how, what did that tell you so we had a PET scan, which um, is the sort of like the daddy of the scans. You know, they inject you with a radioactive fluid and I wasn't allowed to go near Isabella after for two days because I was contaminated. And on New Year's Eve, it came back um, clear. So I had no cancer whatsoever. The mastectomy had removed the cancer cells. I had a full lymph node clearance. They took out 32 of my lymph nodes. And um, I'd had another chemotherapy in between that. And there was no viable cancer cells in my body. So that was in December 2015. And I've been cancer free since then. Wow. Amazing. That was like the greatest news possible. Definitely. I mean, it was just, um, I remember when she gave us the news, like Mark collapsed to the floor. He was just... You know, it was just so much for both of us. It was the biggest weight lifted off of our shoulders. And we knew that even though the treatment hadn't finished, I still had another year of treatment. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to worry that I was fighting it anymore. This was all now just preventative and protective treatment rather than being in a war zone, you know. And I'm sure now you believed you were going to see your little girl grow up. You were going to be there on her wedding day. You were going to get, please God, to see her have children. That is the greatest gift. Definitely. Yeah, I could start planning again, you know, thinking more positively. You know, you're not thinking about your mortality every day. So, yeah, things that day, things changed for us hugely. You know, like we knew that our family had a future. Sure. And how was Isabella? Did she continue to thrive? I know she's the most beautiful little girl and she just gives me life when I see her. 
<laughs> Thank you. Yeah, she did really well. She went from strength to strength. I mean, obviously I couldn't breastfeed her. So we had to, we used to buy donor breast milk and give that to her every day in a little syringe. Um, and she did really well. And when she got to about, I think it was four or five weeks, um, she was doing so well that they allowed us to move her to a hospital nearer to home, which was much better. So she was literally down the road from us. So we could, it was easier for all of us like that. And she wasn't an, in a ward that was um, as high risk anymore. You know, she was more in like a cot and just being monitored daily rather than attached to all of the machines so that was nice to be able to hold her and like there's not wires coming in and out of her anymore mm -hmm. that was lovely and then to talk just more about mark so then you yeah. had this whole phenomenal happen last year wasn't it yeah so then um i went well it was yeah what happened the year before that i'd gone to tenerife with the girls from work and um Mark was FaceTiming me with Isabella on the bed and she was saying sort of words. And when I come back, Mark said to me, um, you know, Isabella did that diet, that video where she said the word hat. And I was like, yeah. And he said, um, I'm going to use that to enter Britain's Got Talent. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? What's going to happen? And I was like, why, why do you want to do that? You've got a career anyway, you know, like you're, you've had a 25 year career. And he was like, because I do, he was like, things have changed for us. And, you know, our outlook on life is different. And I want to share what's happened to us with everybody. He was like, do I have your blessing? And I was like, okay, but I didn't know what was going to come out of that or what was going to happen, you know? Wow. So yeah, so then Mark entered Britain's Got Talent and um, it all went a bit crazy from there, really. <laughs> It was so incredibly mind-blowing, emotional. I mean, I jumped my feet <laughs> at the end of it. Of course, the fact that I knew you, it meant so much more, you know? Of course. I mean, yeah, it was... Um, so, obviously, the first time he did Britain's Got Talent was... The backstory was us, you know? It was about our family and what had happened. And um, it was also very, like you said, emotional. Um, but when you're on that platform, it does have like a twofold side to it, you know? So, um, we had all the positive side of it, which was people that were going through fertility treatment or that had gone through cancer treatment or people that just loved Mark and that were part of that fan type of thing that they, you know, loved his magic, got in touch. And it was lovely to read all of that. But then a lot of people were on the other side of the coin saying that, you know, Mark had, you know, use the backstory to get to where he was. So it was actually, at the time, it was really tough um, because I was so happy for him and this platform that he had, but we were learning so much about, actually, sometimes social media and things like that can be quite hard to deal with when everybody wants to give you their rawest opinion, you know? Um, I'm sure to some level you must get that a little bit as well. Like I know that you've spoken about it where sometimes people message you certain things and, but, um, we wasn't ready for that and, um, it was hard. So the comparison from this year where he went back to Britain's Got Talent and he didn't have a backstory, he did it anonymously, um, and no one knew who he was. Um, and he kind of sort of like almost poo-pooed everybody that said you know you only got to where you was because you rode off of the backstory whereas now he didn't 
and it obviously made such a difference and he still had that fan base there from before and this whole new fan base mm -hmm. and it just went through the roof and it still was going through the roof which amazing. is great amazing well that's that's so good for him you know because it doesn't what others think fundamentally does not matter but for him to do that had to be liberating in itself to come back like that because of course although i do get it it's still work what he gave was his life, his soul, what means most to him in this world. So to take criticism in any form on that has to be very, very difficult. Much from it in that year. Like he realized that um, he grew thicker skin and he realized that um, actually he is, um, how can I say this? He he's such a creative genius and he knew that there was a way that he could showcase his talent and his emotions with so many different people all over the world you know and he's touched so many people and i he's really really happy and he's riding off of you know the messages and the feedback that we're getting from so many people that he's reached out to and i think that he's enjoying his work more because of that but he's actually loving his work. Amazing. And how did he get into it? Like, where did that all begin? Uh, he was given a, um, I can't remember what's, what magic set it was, but he was given a magic set when he was eight years old. And he just had a desire for it. And he's just got a talent for it. And he's very creative. He is amazing. It's mind blowing. Of course, I will put up everything at the end, but you'll find Mark on Instagram at, at I am Spellman. Isn't that right? It's at I am X and um, and I am Spellman. Yes, yes, okay. both of them. Yeah, all the handles. But what a journey! I mean, incredible. I'm clearly, an incredible man. I mean, he's he's so supportive to you, an amazing father, and then to have this. He has been, um, you know. <sighs> I can't even find the words to describe to you how good he's been and also like how scared he must have been along that whole journey, you know, to go from the point of wanting to just protect me and then having Isabella, having this un, you know, conditional love for her and then realising that there are two people that he just wants to wrap up in cotton wool while we're still going through this whole journey, you know, I mean, it's taken you know he gave up his work for almost like two years just to look after us both mm -hmm. you know well incredible and, and now it's his time to shine exactly yeah uh, tessa that is just the most phenomenal story i mean how does it feel for you when you start at the beginning and carry it right through the, you see the enormity of what you've overcome to be where you oh. are all three of you of course and we don't we don't ever take it for granted and i know it sounds really cheesy but even if we're having dinner having a bath with isabella you know like brushing her teeth in the morning we know that that is we're so like lucky to have that moment with her like we really are things could have been so different for us but we've been very very fortunate and we we know that and we we don't take it for granted at all you know and what a, an incredible person Dr. Alison Joan is. Like, you amazing. Gave you each other. Amazing. She's just a phenomenal person. She's actually a professor. Sorry, I should have said that. She's actually a professor. Um, last year, she did a breast cancer charity gala ball, and she asked Mark to be the guest speaker. 
at it, which he did. Um, and he dedicated, you know, the, the night to her saying to her that, you know, she bought us Isabella basically, you know, and if you go into her office, you'll see a wall of pictures of all babies and they're all the babies that she has brought into this world where their mothers have had breast cancer and she has helped them fight that journey. Wow, what a legacy. Yeah, wonderful. And we're so lucky to have had her. Oh, amazing. Tessa, thank you so much. Thank My you lovely. for sharing this story with myself. It's a story I've always wanted to um, hear from start to finish. But of course, with everyone out there that maybe, you know, hopefully won't have as big a fight on their hands as you've, as you've had. But just to show people what, what you can overcome. And of course. And, you know, like I, I just want to say, you know, that... And I know that we've touched on a lot of things like today, like women in business, you know, marriage, infertility, um, cancer, you know, different, my husband's career and things like that. But, you know, like there's loads of lessons on this earth, isn't there, on this journey that we're on, you know, and some of you, you have peaks and troughs all the way along. And I never realized how much of a roller coaster and how colorful my life would be, you know. And um, I do think you just have to have, hope i know it sounds like so cheesy keep saying it but you just have to have something to hope all you have isn't it absolutely hope really is everything just the ability to look beyond yeah you know adversity you're going through at the moment and just to know that there's brighter days ahead and you know that darkness always comes before the brightest dawn of course <laughs> Tessa, thank you so much. And thank you again for taking the time out to join me. Um, You're welcome. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. We have to get together soon. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Next time I'm in London, we have to do something and go out and have a nice dinner and do all of that. Let's just touch back before you go, though, on, on, on the salon, on the clinic in, in, um, in London. You've just launched a new website recently. And yeah. you're apparently you take on a few new treatments as well. What excites you in the industry at the moment? What like, lights your fire? Um, everything that's new that comes out, I always look at it with caution. Um, at the moment, we're looking at a new um, skin brand that we're thinking of working with. I'm kind of feeling really excited about working with companies that want to offer clean science, that they want to really think about our planet. Mm -hmm. um, I often think that in 20 years from now, and I don't know if you feel the same because you've got children, I think Isabella's going to say to me one day, did you used to drink out of plastic milk bottles? Wow. Sure. You know, I know she's going to think, what used to do that? So I kind of feel that, you know, like we've got this platform in business. We've got this platform with our staff, with our clients. And we're educating them every day. And shouldn't be we working with brands that are really clean brands that are thinking about what's happening to our planet. Yeah. And that is kind of exciting me at the moment. And that's what I'm looking to do. Yeah, I'm 100% with you there. I think the beauty skincare industry is way behind on that form. There's a definitely. lot of work. Yeah, definitely. I think we have a responsibility to play a part in that. Yeah. Okay, well then we will leave it on that note where we want to make this, our beautiful planet, a better place and a more sustainable future. Definitely. And you will find Tessa on www.tessastevensbeauty.com as well as Tessa Stevens Beauty on Instagram. Definitely. Thank you so much, Tessa. You're welcome.
See you later. Bye. That was Skin Deep with Karina Tolan. Subscribe, like and share.